Lord, thank you for these songs that we get to sing and this space that we have to pray together and be together. And God, today as we wrap up this full story series in the Old Testament and we look back as we look ahead, Lord, I pray that you would speak into each of us. Pray, Lord, that you would move, that you would work, that you would illuminate the eyes of our hearts, that these words would pop out from your scriptures to us, God. Yes, even all of these names, I pray that they would speak. We believe they are powerful. We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to talk, as we look at this passage, I want you to remember this phrase. It's on your, in your inserts, if you're watching online, on the notes, it's this. And I want you to, to, to remember this and think about this as we think about the story so far, and it's this. Your name tells a story, and your story has a name. Your name tells a story, and your story has a name. For example, my name, Logan Beardsley, there's a story to that name. There's a story of a young man who grew up in a family of 11 kids, who was homeschooled. There's a whole story to my name, and a part of my last name, Beardsley, it's not even just about my story, but about the heritage of my family, good and bad. Your story, your name tells a story, and your story has a name. And as we look at this, this just hit me this week, as I was reading in Chronicles, if you are in, still in the reading plan first, bless you for staying with us and reading along, we read through chapter after chapter of these names. Names that I couldn't even pronounce at times. And I felt this heaviness as I was preparing for First Chronicles 4 to read through this for me to share with you some awesome insights about these names. I mean, just look at these names here that we read. We know that in this, in this line from Chronicles, we have Judah, we know him. Not a great character in the story, but used by God. There's this one, Hazel Lapone. What a name. There's another one, I think Case called one of them a heifer at one point. <laughs> He's remembering last week's message. And as I was reading this, I, I, I just came to this first conclusion. Yes, every name has a story, and every story has a name, but church, brother and sister in Christ, you don't know every name. God does. You don't know every name, God does. As we think about the stories that we tell, as we think about the people that we name, way too often we judge people, we think about people based on their appearance or on their name. Oh, you're from this family, you must be like this. Oh, I remember about you, but we don't know every name, God does. And that just hit me this week as I was reading all these names and feeling this heaviness, and there, I came to this point where I just said, Logan, you don't know these names. 
I could give you conjecture about the meaning of the names, and I could, we could talk a little bit about some of them in other places in Scripture, but I, I felt like overall as I read this, God just wants us to be reminded that you don't know people's names. At least you don't know the story behind every name. And I think that that's a great first truth for you and I to think about and apply to our lives today. I don't know every name. God does. It seems to be at this point in Chronicles, this is, a, this, is, this is at the end of the story in the Hebrew Bible, in the Tanakh, this is at the very end of the Hebrew Bible. And the chronicler, we don't really know who this person was, perhaps he was Ezra, we don't know. He's writing this story, and it's kind of a unique story. It's a bit boring to read, to be honest, the book of Chronicles. It's not, it's not beautifully like, wise like Proverbs. It's not, there's a whole bunch of stuff to sort through. But he's telling this story, and he's going back name after name, story after story, and it's leading up to the time that he's writing. I would say it's kind of like if you've gone to like a graduation ceremony and you're looking back at people's lives, and you're telling the story, it's a bit of this moment as we read Chronicles. And right here in chapter four, he's been working his way through the descendants, starting in the, in the book of Chronicles, it starts with Adam. Remember, in the beginning, God created, and we have Adam, the first human. And it starts there and works all the way up to this moment. And it seems to me, as we learn these stories, just remembering this truth, that yes, your name tells a story, and your story has a name, but you don't know every name. God does. He's in control. But second, and this one might, you, you may push back at me a little on this one, especially if you are from Western culture that says that your truth is your truth, and if you just follow your dreams and put your mind to it, you will, you will write your story. Seems to me in scripture, and in this story we also learn that you don't name your story. God does. Amen. And nobody else names your story, God does. And I don't know what your story is, perhaps if we went through a, a, a assignment or a little homework today and I told you, would you write down your name and would you write down your story and you wrote down what you would say your story is, right? There was a movie about you. What would be the title of that story? You may think about what other people have said about your story. You may even have some wounds and some pain, some mistakes in your story. But it seems to me that here in Chronicles 4, we're just reminded that God names our story. And we're reminded from this character named Jabez. And you may have heard of this. There's a popular book called The Prayer of Jabez. It was written about this exact prayer. I'm, I'm not sure I would recommend that book to you at this time, but I do think that there's wonderful truths here in this random, all of it, we got all these names, and then all of a sudden the chronicler, he wants to tell us about this guy, this dude named Jabez. 
And look at what it says here about Jabez. It says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Pause there. Remember, we don't write the story, but we're learning that Jabez was born in pain. If you follow through the chrono. Uh, the genealogy here, you're going to see this person was fathered by this person, was fathered by this person, was fathered by this person. There's this, this whole formula, and then you get to Jabez, and where's his father here? Says his mother. He seems to be fatherless. And in that culture, if you were fatherless, this was devastating. This meant, this meant you, had, you didn't have much of a future. So much of your identity was about your family name, about your father, and about this genealogy and this heritage. And here, right away, the Hebrew reader would read this and say, oh man, Jabez, which by the way, uh, scholars will say that his name in Hebrew means pain. He's born in pain, and the world would tell you, it would tell you his story, his name is a story of pain and failure. This is what his story will be. But in this story, Jabez, it says that he's honorable, and it says that he was born, that, he was, that the, his, his mother said that I bore him in pain. We'll, we'll learn more about what that means in a second. But then we learn that Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me. And there's a little, I like to call them hyperlinks, right? If you get an email and there's a little blue text, you click on it, it takes you somewhere. In the Hebrew scriptures, they are full of hyperlinks. This hyperlink is a hyperlink back to Abraham, back to the, 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 the Torah, the story of scripture that talks about blessing for God's people. The promise, remember the promise is said, God said, made this promise to God's people that he would bless them. And now, Jabez, the one who's born in pain, the one who other, everybody says, your story is a story of pain, your story is a story of failure, your story is a, is a story of being an orphan, a fatherless. He says, he calls upon the Lord and asks him to bless him. And asks him to enlarge my border. Enlarge my influence, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And it says, and God granted what he asked. I find this so fascinating for Jabez. It's interesting that God speaks to him in a place of deep, profound pain. For some of you, can you relate to this? Have you had moments of pain, moments of tragedy, moments of loss, where perhaps you've called out to God and experienced him in deep and profound ways? C.S. Lewis has a famous quote about this. You may have heard this before. He says this. Would you put that on the screen for me? It says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
Are we not in a deaf world? And yet here in Jabez, it seems that God is speaking in to Jabez, and Jabez is calling upon God for blessing, but not just for blessing. He's not saying, I I think it's a misread to read this and say, Jabez is just saying, God, would you make me wealthy? God, would you make me, would you make my house bigger? No, he's calling upon here for blessing, and this blessing is related to seeing the face of God, the very presence of God in his life, this longing for God's presence in his life, in his painful life. He says, would you have your hand upon me? Would you be with me? And this is the message that we see here, and we see grace here. It says that God heard him and he granted, he gave, this is grace, gave Jabez this. He granted what he asked. And so we see these two truths. You don't know every name. You don't know your story. You don't name your story. God does. And maybe as we think about this passage, as we think about looking back at Chronicles, as you think about your story, your name, what the name of your story is, and we ask this question, how does this apply to me? Remember, your name tells a story, and your story has a name. So how does this apply to your name and your story? Seems to me two things here. First, we need to remember the name that named you. Remember the name that named you. Now, I'm not talking about your parents. I'm talking about your identity. I'm talking about going back to Genesis and being created in the image of God and what God says about who you are and what kind of name he gives to his people. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 43, one of our wonderful prophets. Isaiah writes about this, he prophesies about this. He says, now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you what? By name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, pain, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Seems to me as we think about this and we wonder, what is my name? What is my story? We must remember the name that named you. We must join Jabez in calling out to God and asking for his blessing and his, pre- and his favor and his very presence in our lives. This is what remembering means. I've said this time and time again in the Hebrew scriptures when you say remember, this is not recollect. This is an action word. This speaks into you. It does something in you. Remember, your name tells a story. Your story has a name. Remember the name that named you. Not the name that those people said about you. Remember the name that named you. 
And second, one is in my mind in the way that I think, another is in my posture and the way that I act. Hear this. Kneel to the name that saved you. Remember the name that named you. Kneel to the name that saved you. We all have a name, but there's only one name that saves, amen? That's where you yell back, amen, Pastor Logan. And as we think about the story, as we think about this whole Old Testament story, we kneel to the name that saved you. Even in the book of Chronicles, as boring and slow as it may be, how does it start? It starts in, with Adam, with a genealogy just like the very beginning story. Just like the book Matthew, which we're going to read just next week, amen, the, the New Testament is here, and we're gonna start in Matthew, and it starts with a genealogy, and it ends with a commission. Did you know that Chronicles also ends with a commission from, from uh, Cyrus? A commission to God's people to go and be on mission, but in this commission from Cyrus at the end of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, you can go and look there, I'm not gonna wait for you, but at the end there, there's this message, and it says, it says, and, and he went up. He will go up. This book of Chronicles is left with an incomplete sentence. As he's telling the story, as he's telling the story of God's people, saying the name and the story, it ends with this incomplete sentence. This longing for one who will go up. This longing for the one who will save you. And even thinking about Jabez, remember it said that his mother named him that she was born, he was born in pain? This is another hyperlink. When is the last time we heard about pain of childbirth? Go back to Genesis chapter three. Go back to the beginning and the fall and sin. As we think about our pain, as we think about our struggles, this always goes back to Genesis chapter three where we learn that Adam and Eve sinned against God and there's this fall and, it's, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall, he's talking about a Messiah who will come, a savior shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the cross. Right there. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, here it is, you shall bring forth children, Jabez. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. We see this pain here. And as we think about pain, I think it's important to understand that the root of our pain is sin. This is the root. The root of the pain poured out on us may not even be your own sin, it may be the sin of others around you, but this is the root of this. And we know that one would come, born of a virgin, without a human father, adopted one named Joseph, and he would live a perfect life and he would die on a cross for our sins as we sang about today and his precious blood would be poured out for you and I, and he would take on all of that pain. He would be bruised his heel, but he would crush the enemy. This is the gospel. 
And as we think about this truth, yes, your name tells a story, and your story has a name. My prayer is that the name of your story would be this. Flip to Philippians chapter two, verse nine. It says there, it says this about Jesus. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus That's the name that saves. No other name can save. No other name can bring you out of that pain. Every knee should what? Bow. That's the posture. Kneel to the name that saved you. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is King, to the glory of God the Father. As we think about the story, as you think about your story, I encourage you to apply this to your life, to think about these truths. Remember the name that named you as Edgar prayed, that God is in control, that God is the one who writes our story, and our story ends in glory if you believe in Jesus. It's a beautiful, happy ending. But also kneel to the name that saved you. After the sermon, we get to have the wonderful opportunity every first Sunday of the month, we take communion. And in communion, this is what we do. There's a remembering piece, a communing piece. There's an ancient tradition, I'd love to do it here someday, of actually having kneelers at the beginning of the stage so as you would come down to take communion you would actually spend some time kneeling to reflect and i would encourage you as you take communion maybe you're brave enough to kneel right where you are to spend some time reflecting on the savior that saved you and as we think about this And we ask ourselves, well, how do I live this out? I love it, we're gonna take communion, but then I'm gonna go out into the world. And it seems to me, how do we live this out? The answer is incredibly simple. We see it in Jabez. It's a four-letter word, pray. A good four-letter word. Look at what Jabez does. It says he calls upon the Lord. If go to second, second, Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, there's this same praying when, when the temple is made. It says this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, kneel, and they pray and they seek my face and they turn from their wicked ways, what will happen? I will hear from heaven, open up the heavens and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now we know and this passage is written to a people in Israel we know on this side of the cross, when, when we're talking about land, this is translated to hearts. It's not talking about America, it's not talking about another place, it's talking about people that become the very land of God, the kingdom of God, in all who believe in Jesus. We have become the temples that are longed for in Chronicles. And Chronicles is all about looking for the person, the Savior, the Messiah, and longing for the place, the temple. And we, as believers, are filled with that person, and we become temples. And the best way to live this out is to pray. 
And maybe you ask, how do I pray? I heard uh, Steve Moody preach this a while ago and it stuck with me. I think it was from John Ortberg and it was a simple formula. Because I think sometimes we think prayer is just like, it's just this like one way thing as opposed to a conversation. And as you think about how to apply this to your life, I would say this, think about these three words, up, in, and out. We do offer up like Jabez, we offer up our prayers to God. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Call out to God and share with him your pain, your heart, your struggles. But don't miss the fact that there's also this piece of listening, of remembering, of of listening to what God's response is to your request. Your request is, you're talking to the divine being. And his response may be wiser and better than what you think his response may be. And so we go up and then we let the word go in us. This happens through our prayer life, this happens through our community groups, this happens on a Sunday morning when you're leaving and you think, man, that was right for me. That's a way to have the word in you. So it's up, it's in, and then it's also out. It's also out. In Matthew, you're gonna read this week of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and he says this about, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, who hears what I'm speaking to them and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the cornerstone. Or it says in James, don't be just hearers of the word, do what it says. As we listen to God's word, we must be a people that live it out, up, in, and out. And so in this moment, as you prepare your heart to remember, to remember the name, the one that named you, and to kneel to the one that saved you, as you do this in this moment, watching online or here in this space, remember that the name of the one who saved you is Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says this, by these marks shall you know them. True blessings, remember the blessing that Jabez prayed for? True blessing, blessings that come from the pierced hand, blessings that come from Calvary's bloody tree, streaming from the Savior's wounded side, your pardon, your acceptance, your spiritual life, the bread that is true food, the blood that is true drink, your oneness to Christ and all that comes of it, these are the true blessing. And in a moment, church, we get to feast together in this truth. And one of the things I want you to understand as you think about these truths for communion, for the Lord's Supper, if you have said, Jesus is the name that has saved me, you are invited in. 
If you have declared that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you, have, you are invited in. If you have not done so, I challenge you and exhort you, do that in this moment and come to the table. Pray for Jesus to save you from your pain and live in the moment of kneeling before him. If you're not there yet, I would encourage you to reflect during this time and not to eat of something you have not eaten in your heart. And as you come forward in a few moments, as you think about this Lord's Supper, I was reminded this uh, speaker said, if you could, look at your pew. Look at the front of your pew or if wherever you're sitting, and I would just like you to imagine that that pew is just going on for eternity. Because we believe that when we commune, the church, when we eat of, of the bread and drink of the cup, and Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, we don't just remember Christ, we commune with our brothers and sisters. We commune with those who have gone before us. We commune with those in Afghanistan and China, Wyoming. We commune with the great saints, with those who were born in pain and rose through the power of Christ. We commune with Jabez. We commune with Abraham. We commune with Moses. We commune with all who have put their faith in the Lord. And we commune together. You commune with that lost loved one who is in eternity. They're in this moment. And this is the word. It's a word that we don't just hear, it's a word that we eat. Jesus said this when he was talking to his disciples. He said, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Now you're probably thinking, that's pretty awesome. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names, remember every story has a name, that your names are written in heaven, in the book of eternal life. May that be true for you. In a few moments, I'm gonna pray. And then we're gonna try, as we take of the Lord's Supper, I want this moment to be thoughtful. And so what's going to happen is after I pray, the elders are going to come down and we're going to have, if you're on the sides of the sanctuary, in the corners, there's going to be the elements here, the bread and the cup. And the elders will serve you. You'll go down on the inside aisle, down to there, and you're going to take the elements back with you and don't eat them. I just want you to spend some time remembering and kneeling before your Savior. I want you to spend some time doing what God's people have done, doing it together with your Savior, the, the Holy Catholic Church in all times and all places in that moment. And as Amador sings over you, do not miss this moment. This is a moment. There's power in this moment to eat, to prepare your heart of it, for this. If you're in the middle, come down the middle. If you're towards the front, come towards the front. If you're towards the back, go towards the back. There'll be elders back there and take the elements. And after we've 
all got the elements and we're all back in our seats and we're not talking to each other and we're not being distracting, we're focusing, we're communing with God, we'll turn the lights up and we'll eat together. And then we'll sing. Because this is what God's people do, amen? So would you pray with me? Is that all the details, Doug? Did I miss anything? Okay, I always miss something at this point. Would you pray with me? And then after I pray, the lights are going to go down, and that is your invitation to come to the table and commune with your Savior. Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful, God. Every name has a story. Every story has a name. And our story, all who have put their faith in you, the name above all names, can say, my story is not a story of shame, is not a story of brokenness, is not a story of abuse, is not a story of sin, is not a story of, of rejection. It's a story of salvation. It's a story of he who knew no sin became sin so that I might become a child of God so that I may be clothed in that identity and I am a child of the Most High. I pray, God, as we eat of this, as we think about the name of our story, we would receive the name that you have put on us, the name that you put on your children, and that we would walk out full with our bellies, our spiritual bellies, full of this truth that your grace would be enough. So we trust you, we ask God in this time as we commune together and with you that this would be a moment. This would be a moment where you are encountered. So we invite you here and we love you and we give you all the glory. In your name we pray, amen.